Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland. I am one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. Thank you for joining us for our first podcast of 2023. And it's on the Bad Batch episodes one and two from season two, Spoils of War and Ruins of War. With me is Thomas Harper. Tom, how are you tonight? Happy New Year. And it seems really fitting. We're just out of the holidays and we've been given the gift of new Star Wars. The fact that we have new Star Wars to talk about and break down and analyze a week into the new year is phenomenal. So I can't complain. Yeah. If if you had told 12-year-old me that we were going to have a Star Wars TV show one a quarter, I that it's like, how can you fathom that? Like if you've gone through the dark times of the 1990s. And you saw Return of the Jedi in the theater in 1983. And then you just had perks of the droids TV show, the Ewoks cartoon, the uh, Ewoks uh, specials that they did. I, If your introduction to Star Wars was Caravan of Courage, and then you thought like, well, that's it. We are blessed. So being able to talk about Star Wars that's good is a ton of fun. So let's jump into the beginning of uh, season two, which seems to be a love letter to Indiana Jones, because there's a lot of <laughs> homages to Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade mm-hmm. in these two episodes. Uh, Tom, did you catch that or is it just me? Oh, the whole like the whole opening scene sort of in media res with uh, was just almost a direct callback to uh to raiders um yeah i thought it was <laughs> that i i sat there for a second it was like 4 a.m when i'm watching this on wednesday morning and i was like they did that of course they did why am i even questioning this of course they called back to one of the most beloved franchises other than star wars in the lucasfilm profile or portfolio yeah so yeah, it, it begins and ends with indie references from, you know, like that's my snake Reggie to you know, <laughs> let it go. It's like, it's like, yeah, wow, the treasure was you. So it's uh, good stuff. But let's let's get into the legal issues here because uh, there are a bunch. So we, we begin on this tropical beach planet and our heroes are running away from crabs that are giant. So again, there's kind of the uh, Jules Verne aspect to it uh, from the sequel to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And instantly I started to think, are those crabs sentient? Because life is all over the map in Star Wars. Is it just a big animal or is it sentient? And uh, did you get any feel if these things were sentient or just big animals? Intelligent, yes. Sentient, no, I don't think so. They seem to be really ticked off, uh, but not necessarily like thinking and coordinating action and sort of existing in the way that sentient beings would uh, would exist. That pro- that definitely affects our legal analysis as, as far as what, what the Bad Batch was taking, uh, the force that they were using against the crabs, that sort of thing. Yeah, because if it's they went to a monastery or a crypt or something to get this box of stuff. If the crabs were an indigenous people, 
and that came from like their temple that's a huge issue right there where our mm -hmm. heroes are not in the right with what they're doing however if it's you know the deserted temple and again there there are different legal issues with if this is something of a cultural significance but the species that had it is extinct versus they took it from the crab people and if they are crab people or are they just crabs so uh, which then gets into the type of force um you know is self-defense available for fighting giant crabs and i think the answer to that depends on is the bad batch the aggressors taking something of significance from the crab people mm -hmm. or if they're just crabs that live there then they're not the aggressors do you do you have any thoughts on that yeah i it it gave me uh sort of a uh, the parallel to there's this Clone Wars episode centered on R2 and C3PO um, where they end up on this planet with these like tiny little creatures who are ruled by this like slightly less tiny slightly bigger creature uh, this little dude called the Big Heizu and they end up R2 ends up squishing him at the end like falls over on him uh, and squishes him but the the episode sort of in general revolves around these sort of mini stories of R2 and C3PO kind of stumbling into these situations with these very primitive species and whatnot. But in each instance, uh, they're sort of some version of sentient and and they have like societal structure and uh, there's power plays, like all the things that you would see with uh, with a normal society. Because you don't see that here, um, you know, I think with with the crabs, I don't know, there seem to be a lot of them. So I don't know if we could classify them as an endangered species, but say they were, say, say there's a few of them. I think you would have to be careful. And uh, I, I don't think the Bad Batch ran afoul of, of any um, laws protecting endangered species because they weren't actually killing any. I think they probably wanted to. Maybe they killed one or two, but those things seem pretty toughly armored and uh, you know so I don't think I don't think they ran afoul of anything on that front well the endangered species act does allow for self-defense so like if the mm -hmm. you know endangered bear tries to kill you uh you can defend yourself you know that doesn't mean you end up as you know a snack for the mm -hmm. bear so uh but yeah, this this does seem to be like you know we have the Marine Mammal you know Protection Act. I don't know if there's a self defense clause in there because it's not like mantises go on killing sprees, right? You know, <laughs> I mean, it would make propellers Florida, be damned. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be really weird in Florida if manatees started acting like gators and being predators, but. Uh, yeah or it's but again you're like you're not supposed to pet a whale or, or you know you're supposed mm -hmm. to stay away from the dolphin and like don't ride the seal uh yeah. but if the seal decides you know has rabies and decides to try to kill you because it's a rabid animal you self-defense you know is available and i and i would wonder i don't know i'm not an esa uh specialist but in terms of that self-defense provision whether it works the same as usual self-defense where you can short circuit and in, in other words not be able to use that defense if you 
cause, if you were the cause of the need for your own self-defense, if you go provoke the fight, you don't get to use self-defense against another human being. And it seems to me that these crabs were probably living a perfectly normal space crab life on this planet. And then in comes the marauder and the bad batch to, to take whatever they're going to take there and stirred up the pot. I wonder if that's, uh, it, it would it would seem logical if there was that, that same function in the ESA, like you can't go um, mess with a bunch of grizzly bear cubs and then claim self-defense when you had to kill the grizzly bear. I don't know. Yeah, that would. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to that onion. Yeah, yeah, there is a ton of layers to it. And it's like, you know, did it sound like Wrecker caused the problem, which is. Of course. It, yeah, it happens in this, <laughs> like, you know, the big dude who likes smashing things. It's like, oh, yeah, I stunned the stormtrooper later. It's like, if you hadn't have done that, everything could have gone much smoother with, like, you get out with the crate of jewels and none, no one's the wiser. Uh, but no, no, no. Yeah. Record is the one that causes that problem. <laughs> so let's get into the next issue that, you know, Omega's hanging out with Tech. It makes sense that Tech is giving her instructions on quizzing her on different types of Imperial uh, spacecraft and vehicles. And there's an issue of child endangerment uh, that, that then starts coming up. And that's inherent with her hanging out with mercenaries. Uh, so like, do you want the you know, 13 year old or 14 year old hanging out with mercenaries and child endangerment is any person who under circumstances or conditions likely to produce great bodily harm or death willfully causes or permits any child to suffer or inflicts thereon unjustifiable pain, physical pain or mental suffering or having the care or custody of a child willfully causes or permits the person or health of that child to be injured or willfully causes or permits that child to be placed in a situation where his or her uh, a person or health is endangered. So she's fishing, catches a crab, which is a rowing term of art, and ends up sliding down the cable with her bare hands. Now, if you've ever worked with wire rope, you know that would shred the hands so the fact she's not wearing gloves i i know it's a tv show set in space with adventure but that was one of those things like she would be a bloody mess at the beginning so give her gloves so we can at least pretend uh she would not get mauled by by that wire rope uh you know she falls out of the aircraft now granted they're under attack by the crabs you know, inherently on being on that mission, it could be considered child endangerment just overall. <laughs> so uh, do you, any thoughts on this? You know, you got kids. Do you take them on heists? You know, it's... It's, now this is, I, I want to inject like a classical Star Wars problem in this because there's, I think it was in the uh, the season finale of, season one where there's this talk of omega and like how old she is she's old she's actually older um based on their estimates than any of the bad batch so she's still a minor like under even star wars laws so makes me kind of wonder about the bad batch but yeah i think her whole sort of existence is like one 
bit of child endangerment after endangerment after another. I don't know that necessarily allowing her to fish alone is enough to trigger that uh, that rule. So it's um, the the key word there, the key phrase is conditions likely to produce. And other than maybe knowledge of the the uh, the fauna there, the, the dangerous native species that she might be exposed to fishing. Um, I don't know that necessarily like letting her out to do that would would trigger that. Now, bringing her to the planet, exposing her to this dangerous mission and a line of dangerous missions. Yeah, probably that does. So if they're going in there and they know that these crabs exist and that they're really, really dangerous and this is a high stakes mission, even though they leave her at the ship, I think that uh, that could still count um, as uh, something that could rise to the level of child endangerment. Yeah, it's yeah. Even though she's older, you know, like they were the, mm-hmm. the batch was aged up and trained, and so she's still emotionally a child. Uh, so there's that factor. Uh, also, she's fishing with a hoist just by the nature of what you're using that that's like trying to fish for a whale you know like it's not you know it's like she's not trying to get trout (laughs) like this is beyond swordfish at this point in time for for what she's trying to do so she's fishing for a biggie fish and And maybe they know on some level either that's the only equipment that they have or maybe they have some some knowledge about it yeah, uh, but yeah, just out of the gate, open up with some child endangerment. Uh, <laughs> give her gloves. She's got a good hat. Yeah. Just give her gloves. Tech so, seems less like the kind of clone who would, uh, you know, think through a situation like that, and more like the kind of clone who would quote her the approximate odds of dying. So he, if any of the bad batch, would know the specific likelihood mathematically. This is a bad plan. Uh, I mean, like they leave AZ at the bar, like like they they take her, so it's <laughs> problematic. All right, so the the main thrust of the story is raiding Count Duku's war chest, which was nice to see his layer again. I don't know if it's supposed to look like him, but I definitely get those vibes. Uh, but. You know, who has the right to count Dooku's war chest, which raises good old spoils of war issues? And Tom, you work for the International Red Cross, and I know that you're not reflecting your their opinion on what is, is a spoil of war, but can you talk us through what is a spoil of war? Well, uh, it is a great question, and it's I'm, I'm working on a blog post that'll come out this this week on it, the week of the January 9th. And it's great to have a legal issue in the title of the first episode of a season of, of Star Wars, because the term spoil of war is, is this idea of taken property, property that is not yours, not doesn't belong to your country, to you, but you have some claim to it or you take it as a result of an armed conflict of a war. It, People taking other people's property in war has happened as long as war has existed. That was the reason uh, in in many wars that people went to war and fought was this this promise of financial gain and uh, all that came with it. Under the modern 
suite of IHL, international humanitarian law or law of armed conflict, some of those concepts are still enshrined. So by that, I mean, not every, every time property is taken that is not yours or doesn't belong to your side isn't unlawful. It's not black and white like that. The law, Geneva Conventions and the Hague Conventions do allow certain circumstances where uh, that property can be taken. Namely, it is lawful when the property uh, that's to be taken, whether it's military property, so guns, tanks, bombs, et cetera, or uh, you know, non-military property, uh, has there's there's a military necessity to it. So there's a reason, uh, there's a tangible military benefit to be gained by seizing this property. You're seeing that every single day, uh, just about if you're watching the news out of Ukraine, uh, every time a Russian tank is taken by Ukrainian forces, it, that's a spoil of war, right? That is lawful. Uh, it's lawful for them to take it and to use it. Um, the difference, uh, the, the, the line is drawn in the sand broadly, you can get into some more particulars with like prisoners and whatnot, but broadly speaking, between the government and private individuals. So oftentimes it is very illegal to steal or take things from uh, people, just private citizens in the country that that uh, you're you're operating in. So you can't uh, you know bust down somebody's door and and raid their jewelry, do the kinds of things that the Nazis did. Um, in World War II, uh, taking sort of precious family cultural heirlooms and whatnot. Um, but you can take government property, property belonging to the government. There's, there's a lot more leeway in that. What's interesting here to bring it back to the episode is that Dooku was a head of state. So he had a leadership role on Sereno. In fact, he left the Jedi Order specifically to go take up the mantle, take his title on Sereno as Count. We don't know a lot about their sort of formal functioning of government, but it's clear that, that he functions as a sort of head of state. He represented Sereno on the Separatist Council. Uh, the other gentleman that the Bad Batch meets, the civilian on world there, refers to Dooku in this way that you would refer to it like a political leader. And he, he effectively was uh, represented the sovereign during the war. So those assets of his, even though a lot, the vast majority of it was probably uh, family assets you get from that gentleman as well, that Dooku likely took a lot of that from his own people. That's property of the state. That is Serenian property, right? And so the empire... Uh, was or the Republic, then the, the Empire was actually uh, perfectly within their rights to come in there and take uh, take that property. The Bad Batch is probably a different circumstance. They're not um, they're not parties to, to any armed conflict. These are just individuals um, who are in, obviously engaging in, in uh, some level of armed conflict. But um, as far as the empire goes, if you consider Dooku and his property to, to effectively be an arm of uh, Sereno, it's lawful. So something I was struggling with because we don't know all the facts, right? Was how Dooku, as head of state, acquired all of that state property because they, they're they're effectively container ships full of 
jewels and rare items. And it, and as we learned from Romar, that Dooku was, it sounded like pillaged his own people. Mm-hmm. So problematic right there. So this is, you know, going back to the Nazi example, the Nazis taking art from private individuals or from their victims from death camps doesn't transmute it into state property. Like we have mechanisms in place to return property from museums that that the United States, you know, like took possession of after World War II, uh, that that goes back to the family members uh, of, of who are victims of the Nazis. Here we have another totalitarian state. So I guess the comparable example would be everything that the Soviet Union mm-hmm. took from Nazi Germany that could have been from families, uh, rare art, jewels, everything in that category. So it's like, this is complicated and weird because mm-hmm. it's one thing if it's just money. It's like, okay, that I, I see that being from you know the state treasury. However, if Duca was like raiding his own people and like all those jewels are from families, uh, indigenous people, like there's all kinds of weird, ugly permutations on how he acquired all that wealth and an argument that some of it might not be state property, depending on the tracing of its origin, uh, because he wasn't running the model of freedom uh, during the Clone Wars. It's they built up a war machine. Uh, it's called a war chest for a reason. So uh, if they went out and conquered a planet and he took resources from them, no problem. Uh, again, there are different spins on this. You know, like there was uh, like some of the, the nastiness of the prior president was, you know, like post-Gulf War, uh, we should have just taken the oil uh, from, you know, a country that we fought. Uh, we didn't do that. It's an un-American thing to go, we'll just pillage resources. Uh, conquering colonial countries did that. We, we flirted with that during the Theodore Roosevelt and McKinley and Roosevelt administrations when we played imperialist for a very brief period in history and went like, you know what, this isn't us. Uh, that puts aside companies that have done that and staging coups and other nasty things uh but generally as a country like that's not us yeah yeah and it's what, and and i don't know how that. widely it was known in canon um you know what what sereno or, or you know what the price that the serenian people paid to have dooku at the top um and i don't know that not that I don't know. I don't. I absolutely don't believe for a second that the empire cared one iota uh, who was the original owner of any of that, um, even if it had somebody's name like stenciled on the back. But um, it it is an that that's an interesting twist on it. Not one that I think uh, you would realistically see the Galactic Empire want to play out to its end. Uh, no, this would be a question for the New Republic. 
Yeah. You know, like, did they deal with this? Because after after the war, did they start going, oh, crap, we have all this material dating back to the Clone Wars and things that property that was taken by the Imperial Navy, Army, the Empire, like, do they deal with this and trying to repatriate art? Uh, you know, money is a different thing because you can make restitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you can return funds. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one thing, like if we have all these gold coins, like that's an easy thing to give physically back. Mm-hmm. If the gold itself is gone, we, there could be an accounting to go. This was, this was, you know, nine trillion dollars that would completely rebuild your economy. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, like we don't know, uh, but it's an interesting thought exercise. And I don't think we'd ever see this in live action or animated. Uh, book would probably be the best way to explore this. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, of how do you deal with that? Do they deal with it? Um, so, but with our heroes doing their raid that goes sideways, there's battery of clones. Now, the bright point of our heroes is they use stun, whereas the clone troopers are using, um, you know, fatal shots. The only time that we see our guys using kill shots is in shooting down aircraft. Wrecker, when he starts playing tank with the, uh, you know, cannon, uh, he's not directly aiming at clones. He's like shooting sides of hills to bring rebel down on them. So he's not intentionally trying to kill unless it's shooting down an aircraft. Uh, You know, like with the first one that they shoot down, he takes off the wing, but that thing still crashes and explodes. Like this isn't GI Joe where you see them eject in <laughs> a parachute. Right. <laughs> like that pilot's gone. <laughs> so, but <laughs> any clone troopers, they just get stunned. But that's still battery. Uh, yeah. Do you, any, uh, I I thought that was an interesting distinction that they're not intentionally killing people. Yeah, they've they've only used lethal blaster fire against fellow clones once to my knowledge outside of i can't remember the order 66 sequence but um there was a scene uh let's see here midway through season one where they're trying to escape an airfield and omega's in danger and hunter just goes berserk uh and and uses lethal shots there but fortunately for for these poor uh, defendant clones on Sereno, or plaintiff clones, I should say, uh, battery doesn't require like a very high threshold of harm of any type. It's you need an action, so the pulling of that trigger uh, with the you know, aiming it at uh, at one of the clones and and a stun blast emitting the intent from wrecker or any of the bad batch whoever shooting to cause contact so to hit uh that clone with a stun blast and that that contact is harmful or offensive and you don't have to directly contact 
or touch someone to to meet that. Uh, there are plenty of case law out there. I remember I forget the case's name. But like a lunch tray uh, was the offensive contact. Uh, the plaintiff and defendant never actually touched, but it was a lunch tray that hit the the plaintiff, and that was enough. And so the moment that that stun blast hits the clone, the clone doesn't want to be stunned. Um, that's maybe on some level harmful. I don't know, but it's certainly offensive. Um, and the clone does indeed suffer that contact. So, so you've got all the battery, the elements of battery met like a hundred times <laughs> in this episode again and again and again. And it, it, it really, it makes no difference that they're using uh, stun blast from a legal perspective. I think story-wise it's fascinating. I love that subtle distinction. Yeah. Cause they're not killing others. Right. And so we're dealing with battery charges as opposed to murder charges multiple times over. So mm-hmm. that's uh, also probably they just don't want to go killing their brothers, but we don't see them in other spaces as well where they're not just shooting at clones. Now the crabs were different, but you know you just unless they're it's dealing with aerial combat, they have stun. And I, I, I appreciate that. It's, it might be part of that G.I. Joe doctrine, uh, but it's a nice different way to differentiate our heroes from the clone troopers who are definitely using lethal force in, in their shots. Now, spaceships make this complicated. Did the Bad Batch commit piracy with their attempted threat of the war chest? And I, I bring that up because we don't have spaceships that look like cargo containers. At least we're, we're years away from that happening. So like, you know, we had the space shuttle, it had a cargo bay, but it wasn't like a cargo ship coming from Japan full of cars that's then offloaded in Oakland and put onto trains or bridge pieces coming from China. Like we don't, that's shipping. We have planes that haul cargo, but nothing that goes into orbit to move from point A to point B. And I, I just want to raise the what the difference between piracy and air piracy. So piracy, whoever on the high seas commits the crime of piracy is defined by the law of the nations and is afterwards brought into the United found or brought into the United States, shall be imprisoned for life. And piracy is action on the high seas where you're boarding vessels and taking uh, property from vessels. Aircraft piracy means seizing or exercising control over an aircraft and the special aircraft jurisdiction of the United States by force, violence, threat of force or violence, or any form of intimidation and with wrongful intent. What did our heroes do? Because it's somewhere in between with a cargo spaceship. Yeah, Star Wars kind of mixes the the space is the ocean, even though oceans exist in Star Wars. So you'd probably if if this were on the books with in the the code of uh, Galactic Republic or Imperial laws. You'd probably see a blend of these two laws, uh, just 
by virtue of how folks, how commerce operates, how individuals operate and, and travel uh, in, in an interplanetary nature. Um, I think they've, I, the they haven't committed the strict definition of piracy on the high seas because they're not on the high seas. They're not in international waters. My point in the blending would be, um, you know, are they in an area of space or atmosphere that that counts the same as high seas? High seas is a sort of a technical term. There's a legal implication to that. Um, you know, high seas is different than you know, territorial waters or, uh, you know, some other uh, distance-based location on the ocean. Uh, and so I think it matters that they're close to the landing strip. They're in, in Atmo, so to speak, on Sereno when they, when they do this. But they've certainly committed aircraft piracy. I mean, they, uh, they, they go aboard one of these class four container ships um, with force. Uh, they see that uh, or attempt to seize it, um, stun blast, uh, it qualifies as force uh, and some level of violence. And they have the wrongful intent of trying to steal uh, that, the booty, the Dooku's booty on the ship. They're, they're stealing Dooku's booty and that's their intent. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I had to work that in here somewhere. I failed to do that in the spoils of war portion. Well, it's... <laughs> Dooku is played by Sir Christopher Lee. That's that's England's booty right there. That's true. And this is true. We will respect <laughs> it. So uh, pulling up uh, further definitions, and this is from the post that I did on Star Wars Resistance dealing with piracy. And the high seas are defined as open waters of sea or ocean as distinguished from ports and havens and waters within narrow headlands on a coast. Uh, pulling in international law, the Convention of High Seas states that piracy includes any illegal act of violence, detention, or any act of deposition uh, committed for private ends by the crew or passengers of a private ship or private aircraft and directed. So they're still on liftoff. Like they haven't like crossed Atmo yet. So they're not in space. Uh, you know, and there's all the lines from the Martian about, you know, uh, like international, you know, law, law of the sea applies in space, uh, and you're a pirate for boarding another spaceship. So, like, there's all that legal jargon that deserves analysis in its own right to explain how that works. Uh, but boy, howdy, this this gets weird fast uh, with what did they commit? Uh, other than Wrecker needs to not pull the trigger all the time uh, is, is my my hope for smoother operations because they probably would have actually escaped with some uh, material of value and all of that that this mission was a loss. Uh, there was like no Intel gain. There was nothing and exposed them as being alive. So like this is a colossal mission failure. Uh, because of like they had, they're back on the ramparts radar now so it's it's a really it was and they got nothing for it you know if they got if they got a few billion dollars and it's like we are done we're getting the hell out of here and 
we're going to live far, far away and no one's ever going to hear of us again. That's a victory, but they blow it uh, because wreckers trigger happy. Not even a pocket, not even a helmet full of jewels or credits. Can't even no. pay for the gas to get there. No, it's like, and why did Omega have an open backpack? Like, it's just zip that thing up and put it on. And it's like, there you go. Uh, now, we are introduced to Romar, who is an older gentleman living off the grid. Uh, clearly, might even be a displaced person or refugee. It's it's hard to say which, but clearly has suffered because of the war. And they kidnap him. Uh, kidnapping is every person who forcibly or by other means of instilling fear, steals or takes or holds, detains or arrests any person in the state and carries the person to another uh, country, state, or county, or any part of the same county is guilty as kidnapping. They force him back to his own place with them. Kidnapping. Possible false imprisonment with keeping him there, but that quickly dissipates as, I don't know if it's Stockholm Syndrome or if they explain themselves uh, for what they're trying to do. And tech fixes his you know, storage device that has uh, all the cultural uh, important information for for that planet. But yeah, this is kind of problematic for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet another instance where the, their identity, their whereabouts, that's like very critical information to them, who they are. And it's it's getting out intimately into the hands of, of somebody else, just sort of unnecessarily. And the thing about kidnapping, you can be kidnapped, you could be falsely imprisoned in your home. Like it doesn't require, the act of kidnapping, the crime of kidnapping, doesn't require you to be moved far away or taken into some, you know, dark, dreary place, um, you know, movie style. It requires very little in the way of movement. Um, and, and so even a few steps uh, could be, you know, a few steps, you being moved uh, from point A to point B can be enough. The fact that they moved him back to his own house, that's that's really irrelevant. That's the movement that that counts. Uh, and he didn't want to go there, certainly not under under their control. This might be the like a case of immediate onset Stockholm syndrome. It's like, you fix my one little thing and I'm like, you guys are friends now and let's just open up about everything. But yeah, they might have works. realized it's just it's very Star Wars. And yeah, because they're they're the bad batch is under a lot of pressure at the moment when they meet. They're yeah. being shot at, they've just crashed, tech has a broken leg, like there's all kinds of bad that's happening. So they might not have made the smartest decision because they were still in freak out mode for, you know, I don't want to get shot by anybody. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's at play. But going like, dude, this is an old man that it's like you, you took him back to his house. Like this is problematic. The fact that he quickly realizes what they are. Yeah. Um, and they realize what he is. And it's it's not like they went like, 
they didn't do a roadside execution of the guy so like yeah. good um <laughs> and being star wars he does help rescue omega so this is true he didn't have a legal obligation to do that there's no yeah. duty to rescue he saved her because he's a good person who now just wants to not get shot by imperials so uh, I don't know if the Imperials will go back and do a sweep to try to round people up or if he's yeah, going to move. <laughs> yeah, the the comment Romar alluded to, I don't know, people fleeing or, or being forcibly displaced. Um, I'd have to go back and see the actual dialogue to be sure. But he's one of the few holdouts, it seems, on Sereno. So it's very curious what happened to to everyone else like where where are these folks because this wasn't exactly like a poor world um where yeah things would have turned upside down for them when the war started sereno was protected it was safe um and so yeah it's that's a curiosity yeah it's during the american civil war washington dc was the most fortified city on the planet if the Union had lost Gettysburg and Lee's army had marched on D.C., they would have been obliterated at D.C. and the war would have been over that day because the Confederate army would be dead. So Sereno is in that category of this is the capital city. It is well fortified. And if they had, when was the orbital, orbital bombardment? Mm-hmm. Was it? After Dooku's death, was it after Order 66 that the new empire just goes in and obliterates the capital city just because? That's pretty twisted. Also sounds like Palpatine's just trying to uh, uh, get rid of any loose ends that could show a connection uh, with Dooku. Uh, But at that point, they didn't blow up the... Capitol building. So again, this just seems more like a, a revenge bombing, mm-hmm. uh, Dresden esque. Uh, <laughs> for uh, we're not going to target the palace. So again, just weird, just very weird. I I don't know what to make of it. Uh, any other thoughts? Oh well, murder of Wilco. Yeah, poor, poor clone. It's dangerous to be a clone with a conscience in the Galactic Empire. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, that there's going to be problems <laughs> for uh, people who are Army of the Republic there to defend the Republic and what they believed in the Republic, now part of an empire. Like that's a hard switch. Um, there were German naval officers during World War II who were in that category. Like the the German Navy was the only military branch that did not dismiss its Jewish officers, uh, which would have been complicated if you'd been a Jewish officer in 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 Kriegsmarine. Yeah. Uh, but there's uh, like Battleship Bismarck, uh, one of my historical interests. Uh, I have the book that Ballard did when they found it. The captain of the Bismarck 
um, gave Hitler the regular salute, not the arm out when Hitler came aboard to, to inspect Bismarck. Because he was old school Navy, not mm-hmm. Nazi Navy. And uh, whereas the Admiral uh, who was on board was very much in the Nazi Navy. So <laughs> there's uh, the Imperial at this point of, of Star Wars lore probably has that similar mix. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be human officers who are, wait a minute, we're taking a hard turn here. Yeah. Well, and I think this this sets up an interesting arc for Rampart. Like, just to be clear on the legal front, it's murder, right? Like, there's no gray area there. There's no there's nothing in the in military law that allows an officer to execute a soldier for not following orders. Um, not not in this context. And not in this context. An illegal order. An illegal order at that. To falsify a report. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I it's it's worth it. It bears mentioning that Rampart had a duty to not follow an illegal order, like that soldiers carry a duty to distinguish between the two and have no legal obligation to um, to follow any legal order. And in fact, uh, it's imperative for them to not follow them as well. Um, so in any event, he did the right thing, but paid the ultimate price for it. That was like... Oh, kind of a like starkly disturbing scene, just his body kind of silently falling off the cliff there. And he had throughout his chase of the clone of the Bad Batch in the episode, he was very competent. Like, I mean, they, I love all the clones, uh, but he sort of set himself apart. He was tactically proficient, um, sort of put things together very quickly and and sort of doggedly pursued the Bad Batch until they were finally able to escape. I mean, they they cut it really close, uh, escaping with their lives um, and, and just a broken leg in, in the mix. So and that was all thanks to to Wilco's efforts. So it it's it sets Rampart on an interesting arc. Uh, where, where does he go from here? He, he's clear, clearly um, very ambitious and motivated, doesn't want to step on the wrong side of Tarkin, knows what that would bring him. Where does he go from here? He's willing to kill to keep his his uh, record clean, so to speak. Yeah, and Tarkin's not above blowing up Scarif base full of Imperials to prove a point. Right. So it's, is that the culture of the officer corps that admirals are happy to shoot people? Yeah. Uh, that's a bad military to be a part of. Yeah, well, Tarkin, I, I mean, I think about Tarkin's whole like mantra is built on brutality. There's that scene, I think it was in the first season of Rebels, where he has those two Imperials executed on Lothal. Maybe it was the second season. He just shows up and uh, the Grand Inquisitor kills him right there in the office. So, um, yeah, I think Rampart probably knows that probably has witnessed some atrocity committed by Tarkin and doesn't hesitate to, to commit them himself to uh, you know, keep himself on track, so to speak. But there's a difference. And this doesn't make it better. Uh, no. both, are, both are bad. 
Tarkin in Rebels is killing people he finds to be incompetent. There can at least be a uh, HR reason for other officers to go, <laughs> we will not screw up because right. that's how you how you get killed. Uh, Moff Gideon is in that category as well with mm -hmm. shooting someone who interrupts him. Rampart's different because he just shoots a dude to cover up a fact yeah that's a different that's very different behavior than we've seen by other imperials who just kill others left and right in their chain yeah. command uh not good all bad but rampart is different than behavior we've seen before because this is uh this is just malice and uh a cya maneuver so mm -hmm. very very different that said here we are so <laughs> good start to the season though very great start to the season uh it's good to see az floating around so you know happy about that uh, and yeah like when we got wanda sykes so where's that gonna go so yeah fun fun stuff yeah so any any other closing thoughts no, I'm already ready for Wednesday. I'm going to finish up my blog post and count down the hours. Awesome. Look forward to seeing it. And until then, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Um, Happy New Year. 23 is off to a running start. If you're listening to us on any player where you can leave a review, please do so. We appreciate that. And stay healthy. Stay safe. And stay geeky. Take care, all.